Can God create a rock that's too heavy for him to lift? Well, that's something we've talked about a little bit before on Bible Study Podcast, but we're going to talk about it again today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. $10 was... Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is January the 21st of 2009. It's a Wednesday, and of course, today being a Wednesday, we're doing apologetics. And what we've been doing here, we're going through a series called Knowing God, in which we're talking about the attributes of God, the things that we can know about God based both on Scripture and through natural revelation, such as logic. So anyway, welcome, you guys. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week, and it's just such a blessing to have you here with us today. And I wanted to bring something to your attention today, and that is the fact that I have been having this debate back and forth with this Oneness Pentecostal cult pastor on BibleStudyPodcast.org on the website. Um, and if you want to see that, you can go to the Q&A lesson. I believe it's uh, the September uh, part one, maybe it's part two in September. But anyway, um, you know, we're going back and forth about whether or not uh, there is only one person uh, as God or whether there are three persons. And uh, anyway, you know, if you guys have ever been faced with a oneness Pentecostal argument, maybe you didn't know how to respond. But for those of you who like apologetics and you want to learn how to defend the Trinity, I mean, this works, you know, this also works against Jehovah's Witnesses as well. Uh, but you can go and um, read some of the arguments that he's made and the way that I've responded to those. And feel free to jump in. You know, you guys are free to, to register on the website and to participate in dialogue and conversations and you can leave feedback or whatever. Uh, those of you who are on Facebook, uh, you know, on my um, my network on Facebook, you guys probably uh, saw the link that I put up there for it. So anyway, if that's something that you guys would like to see, you know, by all means, you definitely can. I also want to let you know that in the coming weeks, uh, either next weekend or the weekend after, we're going to do a Q&A lesson. I'm going to put it up on uh, either a Friday or Saturday, probably a Saturday. But if you have any questions, go ahead and send those in to me. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And, you know, you can include questions about, um, you know, God or spirituality or Christianity or anything in general. And I'll try to, you know, give you the best answer I possibly can in light of scripture. So anyway, uh, be looking for that. And if you have any questions, go ahead and send those in to me. But uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for revealing yourself in scripture and in nature. And Lord, we just pray that you'll lead us into truth today about you and your nature. Help us to get to know more about you. And Lord, if there's anything distracting us right now, if there's anything that is drawing us away from you right now, I pray that you'll remove those things in the name of Jesus in order that we might concentrate on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've gone through our study of God's attributes, we have consistently noted at the end of each and every lesson that there's this thing called process theology that denies several 
of the attributes of God, which Christianity has historically affirmed. Uh, At the end of our previous lesson, which was on God's immeasurability, we talked about the distinction between process theology and open theism. They're very similar. It's very easy to get these confused. But uh, if you'll recall, process theology teaches that God cannot do certain things, such as know the know the future or uh, or prevent evil, and open theism teaches that God chooses not to do certain things. And the open theism movement specifically focuses on God choosing not to have knowledge of future free actions of uh, agents, uh, free agents like you and me. Uh, and considering that process theology believes that God is incapable of doing certain things, it's clear that they deny God's omnipotence. And there's a huge difference between God choosing to limit his power and God simply not being able to do something. And that's why process theology borders on being heretical, whereas open theism doesn't, uh, at least not in the same sense. There are some things that are questionable there for uh, for open theism, but it doesn't border on being heretical in the same way that process theology does. But in light of the rise of, uh, of process theology being taught in our churches, in our pulpits, uh, taught on podcasts, you know, it's clear that God's omnipotence is an issue which really is being questioned by many today and being rejected by some. Nevertheless, Christianity has historically attributed omnipotence to God. So, given the controversy surrounding this attribute, this is actually something that's going to require very careful consideration. And of course, uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I do want to welcome you here and uh, feel free to sit in on this lesson and, and uh, you know get what you can out of it. But we do encourage that you would go back and listen to every lesson that we've, that we've done in this series just because uh, this is really teaching, it's not preaching, and in order for you to really know where we are, you're going to have to understand some of the terms that we're working with. So there might be some terms in here that you don't understand. Uh, there might be some presuppositions that we have that you might not realize. So it might be best for you to go back to the very beginning, if this is something that you're interested in, studying God's attributes, and uh, and go through all the lessons in order, uh, and then you'll get caught up to where we are. But anyway, let's go ahead and start off by defining omnipotence. What's omnipotence? Well, first of all, let's just note that it's a term that has uh, a few very significant misunderstandings, and so we'll need to pay close attention to some of those uh, when we get there. But when we look at the word omnipotent, we find that the word can actually be broken down into two separate words. Uh, first of all is omni, which means all, and potent, which means powerful. And so thus, when we say that God is omnipotent, what are we saying? We're saying that he is all-powerful. However, the definition doesn't stop there. There is a necessary clarification that must first be made. That God is omnipotent doesn't mean that we believe that God can do absolutely anything. And a lot of Christians, you know, they're, they're familiar with the verse that says all things are possible with God. Uh, this verses, uh, These words are found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Mark chapter 10, verse 27, and Luke chapter 18, verse 27. We're also all probably familiar with the verse that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Of course, this is what we read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So, do these verses mean that God can create something that is logically impossible, such as a triangular circle? Uh, can God create an uncreated being? No, this is not what omnipotence entails or includes. This is not at all what omnipotence means. These are things that are logically 
impossible. Uh, a three-sided object cannot, in the same sense and at the same time, be circular. Uh, to create an uncreated being is equally nonsensical. And so therefore, when we say that God is omnipotent or all-powerful, we mean that God can do whatever is logically possible. Uh, God's power is only limited by his nature. And when we say that, we mean that God can't do anything that contradicts his nature or his essence. Uh, scripture affirms, for example, that it's impossible for God to lie. This is what we read in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, and we also find it in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. You know, there's nothing illogical which would prevent God from lying. In other words, lying is not logically uh, contradictory or anything like that, as evidenced by the fact that probably all of us have done it at some point or another. But God is prevented from doing so because part of God's nature includes the fact that he is ultimate truth. Uh, God could not be ultimate truth if he was capable of lying, and so therefore it's impossible for God to lie. Similarly, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 tells us that God cannot deny himself. So there are some things that God can't do. He can't do something that defies who he is, or goes against what he is, or something that is logically impossible. And further, the fact that God is omnipotent doesn't mean that God must exercise his power. He's not obligated to do so. He is free to limit the use of his power, but he's not able to limit the extent of it. With that being said, God must know all that he knows, but he doesn't have to do all that he is capable of doing. And of course, we're going to talk about uh, God's knowledge to a greater extent and whether God has exhaustive foreknowledge of the future in a future lesson, which God knows since God knows the future exhaustively. Oops, spoiler alert. Uh, but anyway, moving on. Now that we have a clear understanding of what it means for God to be omnipotent, let's just go ahead and take a quick look at the abundant evidence for God's omnipotence as revealed throughout Scripture. Uh, first of all, it's worth noting that every time you find the word almighty used in reference to God, it's an affirmation of his omnipotence. And this is a word that we find 48 times just in the Old Testament. Uh, just to sample a small handful of these, God told Abram in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. In Job 11 verse 7, we read, Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? And of course, this is a redundant question. So the answer is a resounding no. Uh, in Psalm chapter 147, verse 5, which is one of my favorite personal verses, the psalmist declares, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. And then Jeremiah wrote, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That's what we read in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Now, we also find support for God's omnipotence in the New Testament, in addition to the New Testament verses that we've already covered, uh, which affirm God's all-powerful nature. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, we find God referred to as the Almighty. Paul wrote of the, quote, surpassing greatness of his power in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, 
the Almighty. And then in Revelation chapter 11, verse 17, the 24 elders fall on their faces and say, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And I think it's also worth noting that in the Latin Vulgate, which was um, the, the Latin translation of the Bible from the Middle Ages, but the Latin Vulgate uses the word omnipotence for God, and that's where we derive the word omnipotence from. Further, if you'll remember back to our first lesson, we talked about how all of God's attributes refer to his single essence, his singular essence. And you'll also recall that one of the attributes of God is that he is infinite. And so therefore, any verse which speaks of God being infinite in any regard also speaks of him being omnipotent. In other words, if God is infinite, he is infinite in all of his attributes, since he's simple. But we can't say that God is infinite in one sense, but not in another, because by doing so, we deny his simple nature and must affirm that there are parts of God. But again, as we covered in our lesson on simplicity, and we've covered over and over, if God has parts, then he cannot be infinite. So therefore, to summarize, uh, the verses which affirm God's infinite nature also necessarily affirm God's omnipotence. And finally, many of God's actions indicate his omnipotence as well. To have created the uh, the material universe, ex nihilo, and that's Latin for from nothing, God must have unlimited power. And the same holds true for every instance in which the physical laws of the universe were momentarily defied in a miraculous action. And so scripture thus affirms God's omnipotence from the first verse of Genesis to the very last verse of Revelation. And of of course, God's omnipotence is in harmony with all of his attributes, since all of his attributes are said of his one essence. Uh, for starters, God's omnipotence logically flows from the fact that he is pure actuality, since that which is pure actuality has no potential. It only has being. And yet potential is what limits what a being is capable of doing or not doing. Well, God has no potential, and so therefore there is nothing which limits his capability which is outside of his own nature. And so thus, the fact that God is pure actuality logically implies that God is omnipotent. Secondly, God's omnipotence also flows logically from the fact that he is infinite in his being and in his nature, as we discussed just a moment ago. Uh, whatever God has, he is. Therefore, you'll remember, whatever can be said of him uh, can be said of his entire being, since God has no parts. So therefore, if God is powerful at all, he is necessarily infinitely powerful. Uh, since God has power, it must be said that God is is power, since God's nature is identical to his essence. Uh, not surprisingly, this is also an attribute which Christianity has affirmed from the earliest church fathers. Augustine wrote that, quote, God is rightly called omnipotent. And he goes on to say, we call him omnipotent because he does whatever he wills to do and suffers nothing that he does not will to suffer. He would not, of course, be omnipotent if he had to suffer anything against his will. It is precisely because he is omnipotent that that for him, some things are impossible. And of course, uh, we've already discussed why certain things are impossible for God. 
It's because he is unchanging in his nature. Uh, Aquinas noted that, quote, his might or active power is infinite, end quote. John Calvin wrote that, quote, God is deemed omnipotent, and then he goes on to say, because governing heaven and earth by his providence, he so overrules all things that nothing happens without his counsel, end quote. Uh, Jonathan Edwards also wrote that, quote, he is possessed of omnipotence. So clearly this is an attribute of God which Christianity has consistently affirmed from the very beginning of the church. Now there are several objections to God's omnipotence uh, that we will have to take a a pretty good look at here. Uh, First of all, the most common objection goes something like this. It goes, uh, if God was all-powerful, he could stop evil. If he was all-good, he would stop evil yet evil exists. And so therefore, God is either not all-powerful or he is not all-good. And in response, just looking at this argument, this argument overlooks several things, the least of which is human freedom. I mean, think about it. If God were to stop in and prevent every evil from occurring, then the person making this argument would be prevented from even thinking this argument. Now, I don't know what measures God would take to prevent the person from uh, from even thinking this argument, but I think that both sides can probably agree that allowing for personal freedom is the morally superior option. More importantly, however, is that this argument doesn't take into consideration the fact that God has promised in his word that a day is coming when he will bring an end to all evil. He will defeat evil. And so thus, the argument is turned on the skeptic to go something like this. Uh, We would say in response, if God was all-powerful, he could stop evil. If he was all-good, he would stop evil. Yet evil exists, and so therefore, evil will be defeated someday. God cannot defeat evil if he doesn't allow it to exist. You know, the fact that God is omnipotent and all-good is a guarantee. It's money in the bank that evil will be defeated. So that's the first argument that you might hear, and, uh, and that's a big one. You will run into that if you are active with your apologetics. A second argument against God's omnipotence was, uh, it was actually posted once on BibleStudyPodcast.org, and it boiled down to, to this. This is what the, um, this atheist was arguing. He was saying, the only way for God to be omnipotent is for him to be able to defy the laws of logic. If he cannot defy the laws of logic, then he himself is bound by the same logic that we are, and is thus not worthy of being worshipped. And in response, of course, the laws of logic flow from God's very nature. Uh, God can't defy his nature. We don't believe that God has the ability to do that which is impossible, uh, logically or otherwise. It would be illogical to assert that God could be both omnipotent and impotent, uh, that is not powerful, in the same sense and at the same time. You know, this is not a qualifying factor in our understanding of God's omnipotence. When we say that God is omnipotent, we are affirming that God has unlimited power and can exercise that power in accordance with his nature. But, in, but not against his nature. So in other words, we're saying that God can do anything that is logically possible. We're not affirming his ability to do that which is not logically possible. So don't miss the fact that the laws of logic flow from God's nature. It's not like he is under them like we are. Uh, he's not bound by them the same way we are, because they flow from him. They don't flow from us. So for that reason, he is worthy of worship.
Now, remember that response. Remember the response that we just gave to that last objection, because we also use it against a third objection that you might run into when we're talking about God's omnipotence. And it goes something like this. An omnipotent God can do anything. Can God make a rock too heavy for him to lift? Uh, man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen an atheist either write that like on a message board or, or send it to me in, e- in an email. You know, I got an email on it once, and we actually did a whole lesson on uh, on that once. But the inference here is that if God can't create a rock that's too heavy for him to lift, then he couldn't be omnipotent because an omnipotent God should not only be able to create a rock of any size, but he should also be strong enough to lift it. So let's talk about the response real quick. And if you want a more detailed response, you can actually go ahead and, and find that lesson on BibleCityPodcast.org. Uh, it was one of our first lessons. It's the lesson on the fallacy of equivocation. But in response, you know, this argument really defies logic because it equivocates between types of power. Uh, this argument involves God's creative power and God's power in terms of his ability to lift or move that which he creates. And in essence, it's logically impossible for God to make a stone too heavy for him to lift because God can lift or move anything that he makes. And so therefore, this argument or this objection appears to be pretty clever on the surface, but it presents a logical impossibility. And we don't affirm that God can do that which is logically impossible. A fourth and final objection or argument is that if God is omnipotent, then why can he not limit his knowledge? In other words, what this question essentially boils down to is this. If God can have more power than he could possibly need, then why can't he have more knowledge than he knows? And in response, it's pretty clear that this is uh, logically uh, contradictory. God does have more power than he could ever possibly use, but he cannot have more power than he already has. Similarly, he can have more knowledge than he uses, but he cannot have more knowledge than he already knows. You know, in closing, it's it's pretty clear that God's omnipotence has been denied by both Mormonism and process theology. These are the two groups that we've uh, been, you know, pointing out all along through this study. In fact, as author Max Nolan observes, quote, the most striking element in Mormon theology and process theology alike is the idea that the deity is subject to process. Uh, B.H. Roberts was an early Mormon theologian and author who wrote that, quote, "...not even God may place himself beyond the boundary of space, nor is it conceivable to human thought that he can create space or annihilate matter. These are things that limit even God's omnipotence." End quote. So this is the same uh, affirmation that we get from process theology, and it has to be rejected outright. And then, of course, there's Clark Pinnock, whom we've uh, discussed previously, and who is really somewhere between an open theist and a, and a process theologian. But he writes that, quote, We must not define omnipotence as the power to determine everything, but rather as the power that enables God to deal with any situation that arises. That's what he writes in The Openness of God, page 114. So, in other words, God doesn't know what's going to happen, but he has enough power to deal with whatever does happen. So this is pretty uh, pretty accurate, I think, for the open theist position. They believe that God has just chosen not to use part of his power, part of his knowledge. So that hopefully draws the distinction for you a little clearer between open theism and process theology. But, you know, contrary to all of these claims and beliefs, Scripture and logic lead us to conclude that God is indeed omnipotent and can thus do anything that is logically possible. 
So anyway, I hope this answers any questions and objections that you guys might have. Of course, if you have any objections that I haven't answered here, you can email them to me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. But uh, hopefully this gives you a pretty good basis for understanding God's omnipotence. So anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus.